Okay, a couple of questions for you. Um, if birds that fly over the sea are called seagulls, well, I mean, why, why are they called seagulls? Anybody know? Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be called bagels. Yeah, no, that's kind of, that's a dad joke. How about another one? I thought I was pondering the other day. If two vegans, you know, people that don't eat vegetables, got in a fight, would that be called a beef? Just a thought. I don't know. I know. You can hit me and slap me afterwards. Just wait till after class. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, you know, we've been having a good study on prayer the last few weeks and uh, a lot of things to consider there. I hope it's been beneficial for you in your prayer life and that you have been uh, uplifted by that. And perhaps it's helped you to make more of a commitment to be in prayer. We should be in prayer every day. In fact, as the examples we can take from some of the greats in the Bible, remember Daniel, Daniel 6, when the decree was put out that no one could pray to God except to King Cyrus or Darius, right? That was put out, and what did Daniel do? He went home and he prayed three times, morning, noon, and night, just as was his custom. Wow, what power is in that, right? The courage to do that. He knew that if anybody saw him, he was going to go to the lion's den, right? And yet he did it anyway. He knew his God was faithful, right? And that's great power. We talked about that, right? We talked about the great purpose that we need to, the purpose we have in prayer, the purpose to be able to go and ask God things that he can give us that we need. Of course, he knows ahead of time, but he wants you to pray. He wants you to speak with him. He wants you to talk with him. He wants that relationship with you. In our study on the principles of prayer, we surveyed several essential principles that we can think of with prayer, right? And one of those was we need to pray in faith, okay? Pray in faith meaning what? Believing on him, believing that whatever we ask of him, he can provide and he will provide. And we're going to talk a little bit today about how that needs to be ongoing and how that plays out in our lives. But we should pray that way, believing that he's going to provide for us, right? Praying with humility. And what do we mean by that? Of course, we should have confidence. We should have confidence in our faith in him that he's going to do what we ask but coming to him humbly with our knees bowed, knowing that we are not worthy. We are not worthy of anything. We are humble sinners, right? But we've been sanctified as his children, and we've been made righteous through our faith in him, and therefore we need to be humble because of what he's done for us. And through that humility, of course, without even saying really, we need to be praying with thanksgiving, right? Gratitude. We need to be gracious for what he has done for us. And through that, we need to be praying in harmony with his will. When we come to him humbly, when we come to him praying and speaking with him and asking him certain things, we need to understand that it's his will that needs to be done. Yes, we want certain things. We can ask for help with our health, ask for help with our families, with people that we love. But ultimately, we need to understand it's his will, and we need to have our will lined up with his. It's not about us. It's about him and what he can do for us. And, of course, lastly, we need to pray in his name. And that goes without saying that when we pray, we need to make that prayer 
in Jesus' name because he is our mediator. He's our intercessor. It's because of his blood that purifies us that we're able to go into that throne room and God can look upon us and we don't die. God cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate impurity. But by the blood of Christ, we're able to go before him and be purified, be sanctified, be justified. And we can speak to the creator of the universe. It's an awesome thing. We need to pray in his name. And that doesn't mean just praying in his name. That means being ready in the public marketplace to state Jesus' name. Whom you believe, whom you know is the true savior of the world. Well, there's another principle that we're going to talk about today that has to do with prayer and that uh, we need to carefully consider. We're going to talk today about that persistence we need to have in prayer and what that means exactly. Uh, this is a principle that we're going to see was very important to Jesus. And you think, well, well, Jesus was God, right? Yes, he was, but he was also in the flesh. We're going to look at some scriptures to talk about how he had to have that relationship with the Father constantly. He had to be in constant prayer unceasing prayer we could have a study just on looking at the number of times jesus stepped away from the crowd right to do what to be alone to pray with the father there's many references to that in the scripture that was one of the priorities he had to be in prayer with the father have that relationship being able to talk to him ask him understand what he wanted and of course he was god but he was in the flesh he was weak because he had taken on that flesh so that he could understand who we were better and understand the temptations that we had, understand the frailties that we had, understand that relationship that we needed to have with the Father. So what does that mean exactly? What, what, what does that mean to study about the persistence of prayer? What does that have to do with our lives? Well, first of all, Let's look at some of the teaching on that. Look, turn over to Luke chapter 11. Let's read a couple of parables that the Lord used to uh, refer to this persistence in prayer. Luke chapter 11. And we're going to read about uh, him. This is, this is the Lord's Prayer, but I want to set it up a little bit. He's going to provide an example of the Lord's Prayer in uh, connection with a request on how to pray. The disciples are saying, teach us to pray, right? Teach us how to do this. And, and you'd think they had to be in prayer. That was something that they practiced in the Old Testament. They practiced under the law of Moses. But he's asking, they ask him, how, how, how is this done? Verse 1, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So he's teaching the disciples how to pray in a connection with a question, right? And he's following, uh, he's, he's giving them a model to follow, right? A way to pray. There through verse 4. Then continuing in verse 5, he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. 
for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer him, and he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Here we have a, an example of one requesting a neighbor. I don't have enough food to provide for my friend, for my person that's staying with me. And he gets up in the middle of the night and goes and asks him to help. And he says, well, I, don't, I, I can't do this. I'm in bed already. What are you doing? And then verse, continuing on, <coughs> he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. That sounds very simple doesn't it it sounds very i don't know easy right just ask just knock and it is that easy but remember we talked about who who has that privilege of prayer who can go to him well of course it's faithful christians children of god who have been set apart who have been saved who've been washed by the blood of christ right he wants you to come to him and ask and the point being in this prayer He's saying, even if you come in the middle of the night when those are in bed, ask, knock, and it will be given to you. And the point he's making there is, even in the worst of service, even in the most inconvenient times, pray. Even in the middle of the night, pray, and it will be given. Interesting concept, right? <coughs> it's interesting to know how persistence here is also connected to learning to pray. That's something we can see, perhaps, that we need to practice it, right? If you want to become better, if you want to become good at something, what do you got to do? You got to practice it. You got to work it out. You got to do some work. In the same way, when we pray, we need to practice prayer. It's not just about praying every day. It's praying to continue to grow spiritually, to have that relationship with the Lord and to improve our relationship with Him through that prayer life. That's something we need to do just to get better at it. Interesting how that comes together. Look at another parable here. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Now let's read another one. We read this actually earlier in our study. We're going to do it again today. Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. And beginning in verse 1, it says, Then he spoke a parable to him, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But after he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What's the point he's making here? Well, you know the old saying, squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? But it's not exactly that. It's not just about complaining. He's saying, pray 
constantly. Pray with faith. One who prays with faith constantly are going to have the prayers answered. And great things are going to be done. Interesting concept, right? Something that we kind of, when we think about it, it becomes kind of negative. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a complainer. What do we think about people who complain? You know, they're jerks, right? They're idiots. Shut up! <laughs> Come on! I got the message! But God says, continue. I want you to pray. Pray without ceasing. It's a little bit different thing there. He wants that relationship because through that prayer, he does great things. And through that, what we, in our prayers and the things that we serve, do in serving him, he's glorified because of it. It's a powerful concept, right? It's amazing to think that we can go to him constantly in prayer and how that has a, uh, a connection with our faith, right? We should have such faith that we can continue to pray, continue to pray, and know that great things are going to happen. I'm sure some of you have had some times where you prayed for hours on end. Perhaps it was something that, I don't know, a health issue with yourself, a health issue with a loved one, right? Perhaps you had a family member that passed, and it was you were so troubled by it that the only comfort you could get was through prayer. I know some of you have been there. I've been there. That's a great thing for those who have faith, right? Persistence is related to having faith in the Lord. A few examples from Paul. We have a lot of letters written by Paul in the New Testament. He has several verses that he talks about this. I'm not going to go to them, but Romans 12, 12, he says, Con continuing steadfastly in prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful for this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. You think Paul was a prayer warrior? Oh, yeah. We don't have the examples of him going into the wilderness to get away to pray all night until morning like Jesus did but I would imagine that happened quite a few times in his case pray without ceasing constantly being in prayer because of that relationship and think about the strength that Paul had in fact we're going to read a little bit about it the things that he was able to do because of that faith and that prayer persistence in prayer must be very important because it was stated so often. <clears throat> so, we can see teachings about being persistent in prayer, and it's easy to say, right? Maybe it's not so easy to practice. You know, we're busy. We, we have to go to work. We have kids to feed. We got a yard and a house to take care of. We have got to go to the ballpark. You know, all those things going on. Our lives get very busy. It's easy to put our prayer life on the back burner, isn't it? It's easy to put God behind all these other things. But see, the idea behind that persistence is, is you are constantly putting him first. Constantly setting your mind on things above. Constantly being in prayer. I think that's 
talking about through our faith, through understanding what he can do for us. We have some examples of this. Turn over to Matthew 26, <coughs> and let's read some, uh, an instance of, about our Lord praying. Matthew 26. And uh, let's see. Can I get over there? Beginning in verse 36. <coughs> this is, of course, when he's in the garden. And he says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, <coughs> Sit here while I go and pray over there. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Of course, we know why. He's about to go to the cross. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Again, I want you to understand, we don't think so much about Jesus, what he was going through at the time, right? But he was in the flesh. He was just like you and I. And you can imagine if you know you're going to your death, the stress that you would have because of that. He's experiencing this. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Here he is praying, thinking, Is it even possible that I don't have to do this? That's because of that stress. He didn't quite the whole purpose he came here was to die, right? To die for us, for our sins. But yet he's in the flesh, and he's experiencing so much stress, and he's wondering, is it even possible that this could be done differently? But yet even through that, he says, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me for one hour? <laughs> watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, you will be done. Your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Think about that for a minute. The disciples aren't getting it, right? Here he is so stressed out that he's asking God, is there another way? Is there something different that can be done? And he's told them that he is about to be betrayed. And yet, they're sleeping. They don't get it. What's the big deal? I don't, they don't understand what's going on. And he comes on, you know, kind of sarcastic, you know, what is, you're sleeping, I'm here praying, I'm about to go to my death and you're sleeping. But then he shows the love and compassion that he has for them. He says, yeah, I know, you want to do what's right, you want to follow me, but the flesh is weak. And that shows he understands. He understands what they're going through, and he understands our shortcomings. Right? Interesting concept. Turn over to Luke chapter 22. I want to see something else that's going on with this. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22, and uh, let's look at verse uh, 40, let's see, 41. 
Luke 22, 41. And he was withdrawn from them for about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. One point I want to make. When we pray, we should expect help. We should expect our Father to provide. It may not be our will that gets done, but He is going to provide. Whether that means I cannot do what you're asking, but I am here, and I will provide. Here we have Jesus, so stressed out that He's asking God if there's another way. But saying humbly, that your will needs to be done. And what happened? An angel appeared to strengthen him. Good analogy. When you were, you had little kids, and I know some of you had some little kids. I think they're a little older now, most of you, but did they ever wake up in the middle of the night screaming because they had a nightmare? Moms, did you ever have to get up in the middle of the night and go comfort your child? who couldn't get back to sleep because they had a nightmare and were so stressed out about it they couldn't get back to sleep? Perhaps some of you, when you were little, might have done that. Do you remember calling out in the middle of the night because you were scared and your mother or your father came and comforted you and eased your mind? Now, I know that doesn't compare to an angel being sent, but it's kind of the same concept, right? God will provide the strength, no matter what we're going through. Funny little story. When Tyler, our son, was little, he had seen something, I guess, on the news or something, I don't know, about some bad guys that had escaped from prison or something. And so that night when Jolene was trying to get him to bed, she'd put him down and he'd get right back up. Oh, I don't want to go to bed. Because he was scared, I guess, because these guys that escaped were going to come to our house in the middle of the night, right? And finally she comes up and she says, Stan, I can't get him to bed. He won't lay down. So I told little Fib, yeah, no, I had to repent of it. But I said, Tyler, there's no bad guys in Georgia. So I went back to his room, closed the door, and went to bed. So sometimes, you know, you're like Rahab. You might need to tell a little Fib to get him to bed. But he was comforted by that. You see, to him, his dad knew everything. He wouldn't tell you that now, but he did back then. And his dad said, there's no bad guys in Georgia. There's no bad guys in Georgia, right? So I'm cool. I can live. I can sleep now. No big deal. That's kind of what's happening here. The father sent an angel. <laughs> an angel came to earth to comfort our Lord while he was in distress. Man. Thing. <clears throat> and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to the disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. He was so stressed out that his sweat was turning to blood. There is a 
physical condition. I don't know if that's what's going on here, but there is where the small little capillaries around your sweat glands can burst because of stress. And when you sweat, the blood comes out in the sweat. He was so stressed out that that's what he was doing. And yet, he's strengthened by an angel. He gets up. He comes to the disciples, and he sees them there sleeping. And he says, come on, guys, get up. Let's pray so you don't enter temptation. He has compassion for them, and he's praying, and he's saying to them, take care of yourselves. Don't be tempted. Knowing that they don't fully understand what's about to happen. Prayer is a big thing, right? <laughs> Turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. I want to stress something else here. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. <clears throat> the Hebrews writer says, Who in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, when he had up, offered up prayers and supplications for the vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. There's that thing about understanding who we are and how we deal with things in the flesh. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all obeying called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Your prayers will be heard by God. Your persistent, faithful, humble prayers are going to be heard by God. That's a promise. Hebrew writer tells us Jesus' prayers were heard. He's asking for something different to happen, perhaps. But understanding that God's will needs to be done. And I want you to notice how many times he prayed there, three times, right? He didn't just ask it once. He was being persistent, continually asking. Dead ominous. Paul, turn over to check 2 Corinthians. Let's read something about Paul and how he's dealt with some things when praying. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 30. He says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Eretus the king was guarding the city of Damascus of the Damascenes with a garrison uh, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hand. So here's something Paul's talking about, persecution. They wanted to come and get him, right? Look down in chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast of my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had something 
some kind of ailment or whatever. Many people think he had was blind or had partial blindness. There's other, if you go into a study on that, it wanted to take a while. But he was persistently praying that it be taken away. God heard him. God answered him, said, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, through that infirmity, he was able to win people to God, able to show what it meant to be a child of God, able to glorify God in everything that he did, show God's strength in his weakness. Powerful thing, right? He prayed three times. He was persistent. It was not what he wanted, but he was contented to know that was what God willed in his life. Sufficient grace and strength of God is what we need. Whether we suffer, whether we are doing things in this life that we need to get rid of, it's about him and his will, right? Everything that we ask is not always going to be answered in the way we'd like it to. How about early Christians? Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Let's read a couple of verses from there. This is right after Pentecost, right, when the church is established. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. After Pentecost, what were they doing? They were together. They were praying unceasingly. Hmm. Turn to Acts chapter 12. Let's see another example of that unceasing prayer. Acts chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Aaron was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two shoulders, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put, your gar put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were the past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You could pretty much infer from this passage that the reason Peter was released from prison was because the brethren were gathered together praying. Pretty simple, right? They were unceasingly praying 
day and night for Peter. Prayer was answered the way they wanted it, but according to the will of God. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. Let's read one more example. We studied, we talked about this actually when we were studying Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Remember Epaphras, who we said may have been very much involved in the establishing of the church in Colossae, in that region actually. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Here we have Paul writing a letter to the church of Colossae, telling them that Epaphras is praying for them unceasingly. <clears throat> this is the guy that probably brought the good news to them. Paul had not been there yet. Remember? We talked about that. It's probably Epaphras who taught those in Colossae about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's telling them, he's still praying for you. Interesting, right? If the early church, if those in the early church needed to be persistent in prayer, aren't we? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be praying morning, noon, and night? I wonder sometimes what could really happen if that was the case, if everyone in this congregation was in prayer 24-7. Can you imagine what power that would be, what, how powerful that could be? I mean, humbly in prayer, right? Praying that God's will be done on earth, in this nation, in our community, as it is in heaven. course that means we got to be ready too and get out the door start walking and doing but imagine what that could be if that was the case we have many examples of teaching and persistence in prayer the importance of persistence cannot be overemphasized persistence in general you just keep praying and persistence in particular don't ask just once You're like the kids. Mom, 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 what? Finally she answers, right? That's what he's saying. Keep doing it. Persistence does not necessarily get us what we desire. You know, Jesus still had to drink the cup of suffering. Paul still had to bear his infirmity. But persistence in prayer is key to receiving an answer from God. He's going to hear you. Keep doing it. Don't ever, ever stop. Through that persistence in prayer, we can have the strength we need to live a life as a Christian. I got news for you. The world's going to hell. I know that's kind of blunt, but it's the truth. It's in the scripture, too. And it seems like we can see it happening before our very eyes, doesn't it? I don't know if it's any worse than it's ever been. I didn't live 2,000 years ago. 
but it seems like things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. I read something the other day, a guy who was an atheist, and he was saying some stuff that threw me. Like, I can't believe someone would be so brazen that doesn't believe in God. And one of the things he said was, everything, and this, this, I'm not being political here, I'm just saying, everything leads to liberalism. In other words, everything goes toward liberalism. Liberalism meaning, you know, just do whatever you want. There's no God. There's no absolute truth. There's no ultimate penalty for living a, a doing whatever you want. And all I could think was the scriptures that we have where it says there's going to be a great falling away before he returns. You know? And how those in the first century were praying that he'd come quickly. Because they were seeing the same thing. They were seeing how the world had gone to pot. Perhaps not on the scale we might be seeing it today. But they could see it too. So, here's one thing we need to be praying. Yeah, Father, we see the world, we see the simple, but help us to understand your will in our lives and how we are to deal with it and not lose heart. Because we know you're coming again. And man, if that don't give you courage, nothing else will. Pray without ceasing. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.